crazy love. It looks reckless to logical people. It looks unreasonable. It, they don't get it. it. It doesn't make sense that you would love us like this. God, I'm glad you do love me. Not just in, in coming to find me and bringing me to spiritual life and opening my blinded eyes and, and, and melting my hardened heart. But still, after my conversion, after my spiritual birth, you just keep coming after me. Yes. Just keep loving me. You just keep restoring me. I walk with you and then I get crazy and wander off. And you pull me back in love. And I walk with you and then I wander off. God, thank you for this kind of love. Oh my goodness, God, thank you for this kind of love. But help us to know you don't love us that way just to love us that way. You love us that way that we might learn to love one another that way. And to love other lost sheep who have found their way yet to love them that way. You've shown us your love and you've deposited your love within us that now we might love others the way you love us. And forgive us for thinking it's just only about us. It's just about me. God loves me. I'm so grateful. I'm so special. God loves me. Oh, God loves the people next to me and it's me loving them the way you loved me that helps them see, oh, God loves me that same way too. God, help us. Help us to not stop this flow of your love through us to others. But to know that uh, others are yet to be found. There's still some wandering sheep God, help us to be part of a passionate effort to find them, to find them. And the, the honey, the magnetism, the draw that we use to find the lost sheep is your love. The only reason we love you, God, is because you first loved us. Thank you for this. And help us to love others in that first way kind of love. They may find you like we have found you because of your grace that drew us home. Oh, God, help us to love like this. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. Open your Bible to the book of Joshua. Let's begin in chapter 5. In your Bibles this morning, the book of Joshua. We'll cover chapters 5, 6, and 7 with you this morning. Book of Joshua, chapters 5, 6, and 7. Good to see each of you here. Glad you're here. For those of you that are worshiping with us or simply watching online, hello to you. Thank you for being with us. God bless you as well. Glad you are with us. So we're working our way through these, what are my favorite Old Testament stories, but they're not just nice stories with an amazing point to be made. It's the historical record of God's reckless love, quite honestly, to 
steal a phrase from the song we just sang. And as early as the Garden of Eden, we see the love of God, and then we see the, I don't know, the brushing off, or outright delights, rebellion to that love, and Adam and Eve and Esther are saying, no, we thank God for making us, thanks God for giving us this beautiful garden to live in, thanks for giving us one another, thanks for all that you've done, but we got it now, we're good, and we can run our own lives. We don't need you anymore. We, we had nothing without you. We are nothing without you, but we're okay now. And this act of rebellion, defiance, disobedience, pick your harshest word, your more gentle word, but they're trying to pull away from God's being their savior, supplier, king. No, we'll, 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 I'll be my own king. I'll be my own God now. Thanks for the start. We're okay. And, and well, that didn't work. In their attempt to run their own lives, they believed this tremendous lie, and it cost them virtually everything. But there's a, I'm calling it these days, a reset. There's a do-over. Not that creation, everything started over, but, oh, okay, so, so I'm going to restore you. They sinned against God, and but they did, oh God, we made a mistake. Forgive us, help us, what do we do? They hid from God, and God sought them. And to this day, humans are hiding from God, and God is seeking them. That's why we sing about this love of His. And so God says, okay, he, he, all right, I, I don't hate you, but I'm going to have to restore you because... You brought some consequence to yourself when thinking you could you could run your life without me. That would be like thinking that we could live on this planet without the sun. So we'll just we'll be our own sun. Well, how, how's that going to work for you? It's like me trying to be God to myself. So there's a reset, and and they live for a while, and then everyone gets crazy, stupid, wicked. And the flood of Noah comes and there's a reset. And, and, and God is constantly forgiving us and restoring us. Forgiving us and restoring us. Forgiving us and restoring us. And we see this theme all over the scriptures. And all we're doing is tracking it. Story by story by story. And we've come to this one. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua. Last week they crossed the Jordan River. When Moses led the escape, it wasn't really escape, that was walking out with, with booty. The, the Egyptians said, here, take all of our stuff and leave. Please leave. They gave all their stuff, and, 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 and the, 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 if you want to call it war, it was 400 years of slavery. Well, 400 years of living in Egypt, half of it at least in slavery. Kind of like their reparations. They left with the spoils of Egypt, they traveled south, crossed the Red Sea, headed now east, they crossed the Red Sea, and for 40 years now, they've been wandering pretty much in circles up and down the eastern side of the Jordan River. Last week's lesson, that first generation has died off. They're going to cross now. They've headed north to what? is now called Saudi Arabia, where 
Mark and Jelaine met. <laughs> and up into Syria, turning left, headed now back west, they crossed the Jordan River, and we come now to the town of Jericho. Jericho was centrally located, not far from Jerusalem, a bit more east. Jericho was right on the banks of the Jordan. Jerusalem on the other side of the mountains. So you cross the Jordan, you're in the river valley, get it? And right there is, is Jericho. There's a mountain range. On the other side of that mountain range would be Jerusalem. It's very centrally located, and it's crucial if, if you're thinking about conquering a place. So you separate, and, and, and the north can't get supplies and from the south and back and forth, and you cut off their communication and the supply lines, and it's the old divide and conquer. Old military strategy, and that's what's happening here. We'll come back to the reason for warfare in a bit, but let's keep moving. So they've crossed the Jordan River, and this is the first time for about 500 years that the descendants of Abraham have been in Canaan, the promised land. They were in Egypt, became slaves, now they're set free. While they've been gone, their land has been occupied by others. We'll keep getting to that. Chapter 5 opens up with this statement, verse 1, When all the kings of the Amorites, the kings of the Canaanites, heard that they had dried up, that God had dried up the Red Sea. Wow! That would be like parting the ocean. When everyone heard this story, and some were, had been eyewitnesses, no doubt, and, and they told this event. Look at verse 1. Their hearts melted, and there was no longer any spirit in them. Catch that phrase. Their hearts melted, and there is no spirit in them. This is the effect of seeing the power of our God. Just let that sink in. That, that the works of God, the manifestations of God, have been so profound that virtually everyone knows and everyone is saying, Oh my goodness, we've been worshiping the wrong God. We've made gods of ourselves. Or we've made gods of, of, of the planet, the solar system. We've made gods out of the trees. We've made gods out of... Or we've just made our own god and then sculpted something to say that's what our god looks like. But this god, this god of the Israelites, this, this, this god of, 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 of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this god... Well, he's not like our gods. These people are trembling. And they have no spirit. They don't fight this God. They don't fight this God. Their hearts melted and they had no spirit in them. Let that sink in. That's not true in America these days. In fact, I'm not sure it's true anywhere. Sort of makes you think we're due for another reset. Yeah. I'm not sure if that's happening. Chapter 5, verse 1 is happening anywhere. 
There's, I hear amazing stories out of South Korea, perhaps, probably the most Christian nation in the world right now. There's pockets of, of what we would call revival happening in, in various places in Africa. And interestingly enough, the places that revival is happening the most is where the persecution is the greatest. I hear stories and read accounts of various places, but, but on the scale of the nation, here, chapter 5, verse 1, I, I, don't, I don't see that anywhere in our world these days. That's verse 1. Verse 2 down to verse 12, it's, it's Israel getting back on track. For 40 years after they crossed the Red Sea, for 40 years they've been wondering, now they've made it up to Canaan, and, and, and we're going to do this. Our parents have died off, and the unbelief of our parents is gone. We're getting this reset, this new start. We're going to believe God, we're going to trust God, and, and we're, going to, we're going to do what God has called us to be and to do. And, and, and so let's, let's get back on track. So none of the men have been circumcised for 40 years, so they took care of that. I think that's verse 2 or 3. And it says they reinstituted Passover because to take Passover, men had to be circumcised. No one circumcised, so they had had Passover for 40 years. So they take care of that. And my point is they're, they're getting back to religion doesn't save you, but, but it reminds you of the God who can and will save you. America, we've turned religion into our Savior. Religion is not your Savior. Jesus Christ is your Savior, and some religions do a real good job of making mistakes and others not so much. In fact, in many, many denominational religions, they talk about Jesus, but if you listen closely, and, and, and sometimes it doesn't have to be interpreted that, that accurately, it's pretty much in your face. No, it's the church that saves you. And I'm saying, no, this Baptist congregation or the Baptist of ours is not going to save anybody. Jesus saves us. So they're reestablishing some religious routines, which is good and valuable, but it doesn't produce intimacy. It tells you about the Jesus that will be intimate with you, but it doesn't by itself create intimacy. It pushes you in that direction. So they're, they're doing that. But look at verse 9. Look at verse 9, chapter 5 and verse 9. Today, today. I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from them. Hmm. They've been going with Egypt for 40 years. But today, it stops. Hmm. We are no longer ashamed of our past. We are no longer struggling with doubt and unbelief and fear. We are no longer walking in circles, don't know what we're doing or what we're about. All of the guilt and the shame and the regret and 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 the the lack of direction and the lack of purpose and definitely the lack of identity as being the people of God. All of that is over. Today we begin our first steps of being the people of God. This is beautiful, verse nine. Today, all the reproach, all the shame. All your guilt, all your regret, all of, I can't believe we did that. I can't believe we were so blind. I can't believe we were so rebellious. All of that 
It stops today. We're starting fresh. That's my word, reset. We're starting fresh. Everything's new today. <laughs> and it has to do with conquering the city of Jericho. It definitely has to do with the city of Jericho. Well, first thing in verse 13, chapter 5 and verse 13, the Bible says that Joshua lifted his eyes, so I'm assuming he was praying, or, or maybe he wasn't praying, he was walking around, and his head was down, and he's thinking, and, and but something made him aware, here's this man with a sword, and he lifts up his eyes. Something has his eyes down. It's not reproach, verse 9. It's not reproach. It's not guilt and shame. No, that's, that's over. Verse 13. His eyes are down. He lifts up his eyes, and he sees this man in, in military battle array, dress. So he asks the question, before us or against us? And the man said, neither. Are you for us? Are you against us? Now, I, I'm not trying to over-interpret the Scriptures. I, I want the Scriptures to speak to us. But it seems to me, it seems to me that, that Joshua's putting himself at the center. Not that he's the most arrogant man on the face of the earth, but he understands his calling. God said back in chapter 1 of this book that Moses did. You're my guy. You're going to lead the people. You're going to conquer the land of promise. So he gets that sense of responsibility. I don't think he's being overly arrogant here, but he makes the assumption that either you're in or you're out. You for us, or you for our enemies. I see you're a man of war. By the way, let me just tell you my theory, just pure theory. I think this is a pre-Bethlehem Jesus. It's not just any old angel, as if angels are that common. Not that I hang out and have dinner with them all the time. <laughs> I think this is one of those manifestations, and there's a few of them in the Old Testament, that, that Jesus, pre-Bethlehem Jesus, shows up. Just my theory. Leave it at that. I've been wrong on about three things in my life. This might be one of them. <laughs> so he says to this soldier, this Man of war. Before us or for the enemy? He says, neither. But I am the commander of the host of Almighty God. You see why I think it's Jesus? No angel talks like that. I am the commander of the host. That means God's people, God's angels. I am the commander of the host of the army of God. Yeah. And look what happens. Moses falls on his face. I, I'm sorry, Joshua. Joshua falls on his face. He falls on his face. Second line of verse 14. And he now asks a second question. Oh, what should I do? <laughs> oh my goodness, this is, a, this is a serious moment. I'm in the presence of God. And I've Spoken hastily before I you for them. And this man says to me, No, I'm here to speak for God. I'm here to do the will of God. I'm here to command the people of God. So 
Joshua, he just shows reverence. He lowers his face. He gets on his knees and he says, tell me what to do. Tell me what to say. I don't have any plans. I don't, I don't have any ideas. I acknowledge you as the uh, as the, the commander of God's purposes. You tell me what I should do. What a great way to start a new start. Yeah. If this is indeed what I'm calling throughout all the Bible, one of these many, 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 many resets, do-overs. Let's do it again. Next chapter. What a great way to start. Okay, sir. You're in charge. I know I have some responsibilities for leadership, but you're in charge. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? I love verse 14. And finally, verse 15. Well, let's start with this. Take your sandals off your feet because the place that you are on right now with me is holy. Not because this was some an amazing geographical spot. No, any spot becomes holy when God is in it. Any spot becomes holy when God is there. Now, if, if you're staying with me and following all of these these stories, and they they keep saying the same basic points over and over and over and over again, this is exactly what God said to Moses at the burning bush. Moses, I, I got a calling on your life. This is what I want you to do. I have a few burning bush stories in my own life. I have a few. The commander of the army of God is, is and, and I felt, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm, I'm in the deep end of the pool here. I'm in over my head here. And this is a dangerous situation. This might be the most holy moment of my life or I could get stupid and die. God is giving some clear calling and direction to my life. Not because I'm a pastor. Because I'm a Christian. This isn't a positional thing. This is a relational thing. God doesn't just do this with Moses and Joshua. You need to be having your own burning bush, commander of the army of the host of God moment where God says, this is what I want you to do and you've been fooling around. Start over. Okay, God. Okay. Okay. You, you, you are in charge. Go to chapter 16. This is the collapse of the city. Chapter 6. Can I say 16? I'm sorry. Chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 1. Jericho was shut up inside and out because of the people of Israel. Verse 2, he said to Joshua, I've given Jericho into your hand. I want you to catch the two sides of this. On one hand, like you saw in verse 1 of chapter 5, the people of Jericho were, oh my goodness, oh my God, oh my, oh my. You see it again in chapter 6, verse 1. Then verse 2, it's a Joshua. It's already done, man. You haven't even you haven't done anything, but I'm telling you, it's already settled. I've delivered these people into your hand already. And the fact that we hear in chapter five and chapter six at the beginning statement of this fear and this dread and this awareness of we are beyond our uh, capacities. This God 
is going to do whatever he wants. And there's not a thing we can do about it because he alone is God. That's what the people are thinking. So no wonder he says to Joshua, I've delivered this people into your hand. Some of you are so tired of witnessing and being rejected. What's the point? No one cares. No one's listening. I'm the last one to get saved. Ain't nobody ever going to get saved. It's terrible. Imagine the reverse. For people who are so aware of the glory and the greatness of God, that if you simply mention his name, they would say, oh, please tell me about this God that I'm so uh, uh, amazed about. I've already given the city to you. And then starting in verse 3, you know this story well. This is the piece of the story you know well. Notice first what they don't do. They don't set up the old English King uh, James Old Testament would say they set up embankments. So they didn't set up a, a, a platoon of soldiers here with, with tanks and a platoon here with guns and a platoon here. He, he didn't set up. Now, there are no soldiers. These people were shepherds and farmers. But pretty much these days, they've been nothing other than refugees. They've been walking around for 40 years, gathering whatever food they can pack them. They, I should have mentioned this point already. They, the man is still falling from the sky, but for in chapter 5, today the reproach ends, was the last day they had man, by the way. The last day they had man. These aren't, these aren't trained soldiers. These, these aren't healthy, athletic, strong. These, these are refugees, pilgrims, looking for a place to sleep. So he doesn't set, you know, a few farmers here and a few shepherds here and, and, and make a lot of, just, just, he doesn't do any of that. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell the priest to get some ram's horns. And, and then I want you to walk behind the Ark of the Covenant, which if it says anything, it says, this is the presence of God. The God that everyone's afraid of. I want you to, to, to start a procession that, that the Ark of the Covenant would go ahead of you and the priest will go behind that and then all the people will come behind that and all I want you to do is circle the city and come home. Back to our old encampment here on the border of the river. And tomorrow you do the same thing. And you do that for six days. Now my point here is, here's my theory. This is the work where this, my theories kick in and, and so take it with Dave's grain of salt. Come up with your one, probably better than mine. God is going out of his way to say to not only the people in Jericho, but the Hebrew people, look, this is not about your strength. This is about my strength. Yeah. Now, see, we go to church and we believe in God and we are full of faith, so we never doubt anything. Yeah. I wish that were true. I suspect, I suspect that even though Israel is whatever Israel is this morning, Joshua had to tell him because God told Joshua, Look, your reproach is over. Pick your head up. 
cleansing. They're walking around and this is about the stupidest thing we've ever done in our life. What is, what is this? We walk around, we don't say anything, we don't pass out tracks, get saved, get saved. We, what are we doing? What are, what are we doing? But the instruction was clear. On the seventh day, you march around seven times. And when the priests blow their horns, I want you to shout. I want you to shout. And verse 20 says, chapter 6, verse 20, when we did that, as the old Sunday school song says, the walls came tumbling down. What did they do? They prayed. Maybe they doubted. I'm assuming some did. They prayed. They doubted. They're doing their best to obey. But now, oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Look what God has done. Yeah. Oh my goodness! And they were told that when the walls come down, you just go into the walls and gather their stuff. Plunder the city. Now, maybe a word here about Old Testament biblical warfare. This is not just a random territorial heart of God saying, this is my property and I want to my people now get out of my property. This is not a divine land grab. This is a righteous God saying to all of his creation, the Hebrew nation, which is his own particular people, uses the platform to reveal his existence, but even beyond the Hebrew people, to all peoples. I am God and I made you. And all these other nations have now become polytheistic, worshiping all kinds of idols. And God is saying, there are no other gods. You worship the sun, I made the sun. You worship the moon and the stars, you worship the sea, you worship the birds, you, I don't know what you worship, I made all of that. Or you look outside of creation and you just you conjure something in your mind and you, and you, you turn it into some image and you bow before it. Or grandma becomes your spiritual ancestor. I made your grandma. And I made your imagination which comes up with your idols. And I made all these idols that you worship. And I will show you that there is no God but me. Not because I'm mad. Because I'm the only God that can save you. And we do need some saving. I'm the only God that can save you. This is not a land grab. Get off my people's property. They have possessed their property while they were gone for 400 years. Well, not 400 years. What kind of title lasts 400 years? Well, God's covenant lasts forever. So that's what's going on with keeping. There's that piece of keeping his promise to this people from which Jesus comes. Well, I'm kind of glad that happened. Get the point. But it's also God dealing with massive idolatry beyond just his own people. Verse 20, the walls fall flat. 
Don't get stuck on just the history of, of the story. Don't get stuck on just, just the event itself. The rest of chapter 6 that really begins to open up, and then especially in chapter 7. Chapter 6, look at verse 17. Chapter 6, verse 17. When the instruction given, this is what's going to happen. One loop every day, seven circles on the seventh day, shout, the walls will come down. Everything's going to be destroyed. Don't take any of it. Because we're not here to get stuff. We're not here to get money. We're not here to, to, to get ahead. We're not here to grab. This is an act of judgment. This is an act of, of God saying, idols can't provide for you. I provide for you. So don't take anything. There are no spoils of war here. There have been another conquest, but not here. Not now, not today. Because this is not about grabbing stuff. Ah, this, this is about God showing His justice. The God who is merciful and kind and gracious is also just. And He'll tolerate, and He'll tolerate, and He'll tolerate, and He'll tolerate. And I say, okay, no more. I've warned you, I've warned you, I've warned you. And some people heeded the warning. They put their faith in God. They backed away. And when the destruction comes, they're exempt from it. Like Rahab. judgment of God has been building and building and building and building. And God is about to display, execute his, his judgment on idolatry and idolatrous nations and cities. So he says the whole place is going to be burned because I don't need their stuff. I, I'll take care of your clothes. You don't know where those clothes I, I, we spoiled Egypt. We broke their back a different way with the plagues. Here, don't take anything. Let it all burn. Let it all burn. They may know this is the hand of God's judgment on those who look for their provision outside of Him. You know what this is like? This is like hell on earth. Because it's meant to be like hell on earth. And if you read the scriptures towards the end of the New Testament, there's all kinds of indicators, even as early as the Gospels. Jesus said, that's going to come, that's going to come. And Revelation gives us some, some pictures of it. Hell on earth. So it's unfolding. And here's the exception. Remember back in chapter 2 when you sent spies and checked out the land and those, those spies got information from this woman named Rahab. Now if you remember chapter 2, all the Bible tells us is that they went to her house because they assumed that's where you get information and I think they were right. They weren't there for immoral purposes. Rahab's a prostitute. They go to her house, they get the information, but as they're listening to other people coming doing their business, she approaches them. And she says, back in chapter 2, I know all about your God. We've heard about your God. We've seen the hand of your God. Here's a Jerichoite. A Jerichonian. 
her mind and her heart is open to the reality that our God is no God. Their God is God. Their God is God. And she's saying to the two spies that Joshua has been sick. I'm convinced that, that this whole city is afraid of your God. I'm convinced that your God is God. Now some have read chapter 2, and again here in chapter 6, that she just cuts a deal. Hey, I'm going to be nice to you, you be nice to me, right? I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine, that way I get to heaven. What do you think, huh? Can we do this? I'll give money to your church. Give me a certificate says I'm, I'm born again, okay? Rahab is not cutting a deal. Rahab says to them in chapter 2, I believe that your God is God. You know what happens to people when they surrender their lives to the ownership and the control of Almighty God? He takes care of His people. He takes care of His people. And so it says, chapter 6, verse 17, that Rahab shall live. And her whole family, that Rahab shall live. Is that beautiful? We as Christians, we get disciplined, we get chastised, but we don't get, we don't get destroyed. We may even die in faith giving glory to his name, but we don't lose ultimate, ultimate destruction. No, we're in the palm of his hand at all times. Even should we be called to suffer, like many of our brothers and sisters are around the globe. I think this morning in the bulletin, it's one from Iran, one from, is it Egypt? There's two of them mentioned there. Our brothers and sisters, they've not been forsaken, they've not been abandoned. God's not lifted his, his promise to them. No, they, they were called to suffer, and they, they, they have suffered well. Will you suffer well? The chosen people of God escape destruction because they have shown dependency. It's all over chapter 2, verses 8 to 13. Look at verse 25. Chapter 6 and verse 25. Let's read this one verse. Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belong to her Joshua saved alive. She has lived in Israel to this day. What a testimony. What a testimony. Joshua tells us. I never get over meeting Rahab, he would say. We would all ask her, what, what made you convinced that Jehovah was God and not all these other idols? And she would tell us, She's still with us, telling her stories to this day. Because she hid the messengers. But she hid the messengers because she believed God was God. She's not just cutting a deal here. Abraham wasn't made righteous because he cut a good deal. Abraham was made righteous because he believed God. That's true of Rahab and you and I as well. Let's finish up in verse 27 of chapter 6. So the Lord was with Joshua 
and his fame was in all the land. Well, I guess so. And these people are wrong. This is a juggernaut. This is unstoppable. And they went, have you heard? Have you heard? Oh my goodness, have you heard? To the next city, the next city, Jericho's right, so the city's up north, the city's down south. Have you heard? Oh my goodness, oh my goodness. The Lord was with Joshua, and there was fame throughout the land. Look at chapter 7. So they've conquered Jericho, the next city en route. They're going to face is the city called Ai. They send just a few platoons, that's my military word, you know, some shepherds and some farmers with their staves and staves and rods and whatever they had. Can you imagine such a ragtag kind of a situation against trained armies with the walls came down? Why do you think that preaching the gospel, praying for people is powerless and meaningless? You've lost confidence in the tools God has given us. The preaching of scripture the discussing of scripture. Don't lose confidence in it. Don't, don't lose confidence in it. We, we'll have to put on a better show to people hear the gospel. I don't want to appear like we don't know what we're doing, but this ain't about putting on a good show. This is about telling a great story that God changed my life. <laughs> Chapter 7, they go to Ai and they get defeated. The army comes back and says, hey, that didn't work out. Something went wrong. This is defeat. I know chapter 5 says our reproach is over, but I don't know. I don't know. We just got our backside kicked real hard. We don't know what to do. And Joshua's crying. Chapter 7, verse 10. I, I, I love, I don't know how your translation reads, but ESV says, Joshua, get up! <laughs> I think it sounds like that. If I could hear the voice. <laughs> Chapter 7, verse 10. Are you there? The Lord said, Joshua, get up! Why are you falling on your face? Now, we saw in chapter 5, he falling his face on his worship. Here, he's falling his face out of confusion, defeat, and fear. And God says, it's right to um, humble yourself in worship. But I told you, you're my guy. And I've told you, we're going to conquer this and we're going to take your land back. And I've, I've told you, this is my plan. This is my purpose. This is how we're going to establish this reset. Why are you doubting me? Get up, son. Get up. I will tell you, lately in these last, I don't know, six months of my life, I've heard a real loud get up from God to me. I mean a real loud, profound, David, shut up, quit crying, get up. Get up. Quit telling me what you can't do. Quit telling me why it won't work. David, get up. That's where I've been for six 
trying kind of think I get what Joshua's feeling here. Look at verse 11. Israel has sinned. Now, if you know the chapter, you know it's one guy. One guy. His name is Achan. That's pretty much all you need to know about chapter 7. One guy, his name is Achan. But in verse 11, chapter 7, verse 11, it doesn't say, Achan has sinned. No. Israel has sinned. Because we live and die with one another. Catch this. Achan did it. But God says to Joshua, Israel has sinned. Because we live and die with one another. So that's pretty much the sermon, but I want to spend another 5, 10, 30 minutes drawing out some stuff. Why, why did they, why, why did they, why was it seven priests? There were more than seven priests. Why only seven? And, and, and why did they do this for seven days? On the seventh day, they did it seven times, and well, some of the commentaries, well, seven is the number of perfection. I, I, I know, but what is, what, so that, okay, perfection of the word whole, W-H-O-L-E, so how, I'm not getting that whole perfection, wholeness, that was sufficient, that was complete. I don't think it has anything to do with that typical biblical numerology, which, I don't know, I don't put a whole lot of eggs in that basket. Occasionally something makes sense, but most times I think it's manufactured and pushed. I, I wasn't buying the whole complete thing here. I think this is another reset. You have a number of them we've seen all through the scriptures. Garden of Eden, rebellion. Okay, those, those coverings you've made for yourself won't work. I'll clothe you. But there's some consequences to the decisions that you've made. But I'm still with you. Reset. They just get progressively worse and worse and worse. God sends the flood. Reset. He starts this family with Abraham. And, and then there's all these promises, these covenant promises about a, a, a son, a son. And, and so, well, okay, this ain't working, so let's, let's do the best we can. And, and Ishmael came with Hagar, and God said, no, no, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it my way, miraculously. And then Isaac was born, and, and God says to Abraham, I want you to offer Isaac. And, and Abraham now, because he's learned to trust God, he's learned faith, and, 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 He's had a number of times where God said to him, Abraham, get up, get up, like he's saying to Joshua now. And Abraham has learned through all of those experiences. And now when God says, Well, for your son, Abraham says, Okay. Because he was certain that God's going to keep his covenant promise. So it's no big deal for me to take the life of my son. Because God, just like that, will raise him back from the dead. And we will have a new reset. A miraculous provision 
like Jesus and the resurrection? Yeah, exactly. Like this. And you keep seeing this kind of thing all over the Bible. Uh, chapter by chapter, sometimes even book by book. But section by section, you keep seeing this kind of thing all over the Bible. That's what we ask you to see with me. And it began to dawn on me, ah! Seven days of creation. And God is recreating His people. That's my theory. Just my theory. That's my theory. And uh, if you have something stronger, bring it. But until someone does, I'm sticking with it. God is saying to you and to me, maybe you need a reset. Maybe you need some of the old junk to be scraped away. Maybe you need to hear a loving but loud divine shout, Get up! Let's start over. Let's get this thing going right. Let's do it again, this time better. That's what I think is happening here. And we've seen it all through the scriptures coming to this story here. Finally, look at verse 25 and 26 of chapter 7. Chapter 7, the last two verses, Joshua said, now Joshua was speaking to Achan. They singled them out, found them. And they confronted Achan. And this is it. Chapter 7, 25. Why did you bring trouble on us? Because the Lord's about to bring some trouble on you, man. The Lord is about to bring some trouble on you, Achan. And all of Israel stoned in the stones. I'll come back to that. They burned him with fire and stoned him with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones. Why would they memorialize this kind of a guy? Well, I'll get to that too. It's going to be about another hour and a half. They made a memorial of this guy. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Acre. Called the Valley of Acre because Acre means trouble. Why did you bring this trouble on us? Remember when when God spoke to Joshua and said, Joshua, get up because Israel has sinned. Now Achan has troubled Israel and trouble is going to come to him. And yes, they do stone him. And then right about this point, I say those words out loud. You read them in the scripture for yourself. So say, 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 sit right there, say, I'm done with the Bible. I'm done with your God. Because it's all, it's, it's this kind of stuff. It's killing and slaughtering. And... Well, I'm going to tell you this, that uh, some of the Old Testament is probably like, uh, depending on how well they make the movie, like an R-rated movie. There's a lot of blood and just some nasty stuff. and a whole lot of immorality in it. Yeah, it's a pretty R-rated movie you read in the Old Testament. Yeah, I agree. But it's not unjust. Can I just leave this for a moment? Step over here and come right back. So, so because of recent events, there's there's this 
again, renewed awareness of, of the, the white America, black America, and what's, what's, what's going on and on. And every so often still these days, I'll hear someone say, I, 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 just, I just don't understand why some black people seem to be like really mad. And I say, well, I don't know about your life and your circles and your interactions, but I can tell you my life and my interactions, and, and I'm surprised that they aren't more. And I'm surprised that black people aren't more mad because I, I'm just starting, maybe, I'm never going to fully get it what it's like to be black, but I'm starting maybe to get some, at least academic awareness of, oh my God, that's some significant suffering. So if you're wondering, why all this blood and guts and wrath and, and chastisement and judgment suspect that if you really started to get in touch with how wicked we are, you might say, ah, I'm surprised there's not more. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm not that shocked that there's this kind of judgment. Are you fully aware of our capacity to sin? Mm -hmm. And how egregious and in your face, and yeah, what are you going to do about it? We get about our sin. Especially when we shake a finger, or can I say this from the pulpit, give the finger to God, and say, you ain't no God, I worship something else, and God says, oh my goodness. I'm, I'm more not surprised there's a little bit of justice that God is not only loving, but he's also just. Uh, that doesn't shock me at all about the Bible. What does shock me is that it's not more frequent or more severe. And oh, by the way, yeah, see, stoning, that's just, that's cruel, unusual punishment. I think I can count probably on one, definitely two hands, the times that someone literally actually got stoned to death in the Bible. Jesus had an opportunity to legally approve of someone being stoned. He said, well, those of you that were not saying, go ahead and stone them. And no one did. Because they know they deserve to be stoned as well. And all the times you see this severe judgment of God, it's on those who have defied his name, but not only defied his name, they've exploited his people. You want to see me get angry? Touch my kids. I don't think you're any different than me. Touch my kids. I'll step out of the pulpit. I'll roll up my sleeve. We'll go to it. And I'll pray for you. <laughs> but the whole time I'm praying, God help me beat them down. To protect my kids? Protect my kids. Where did we learn that? From God. And the only time he lifts his protection is when Jesus is paying for our sin. Wow. Now that's reckless love. Here's my closing thoughts. 
want to be real careful. I don't want you to think I'm, I'm angry or I'm using the pulpit like a bully pulpit and slapping you around. I am not at all. That is not my heart here whatsoever. I think it's wise. Uh, you know, Carmen and I don't go to bed with a mask in the same bed. But there's circumstances, there's situations where it's not only legally mandated, it's logical reason to wear a mask. Because we're living in the midst of a pandemic, and I don't want to give you my germs, and I don't want you to give me your germs, so we what we can do to prevent that from happening. I said, what on earth does that have to do with Jericho and Achan? Glad you asked. <laughs> One man said, when all of Israel got defeated with the city of Ai, You see, the greater infection, the greater infection is not COVID-19. I'm not saying, so therefore fill up the mask and shut up and let's get on the light. I'm not saying that whatsoever. That's a serious infection. It's a life-threatening infection. Let me tell you what is a greater life-threatening infection. Anything that encourages you not to believe the promises of God. And I think I've infected you with that sometimes. And I know you've infected me with that sometimes. And it's across the board. We're all guilty of infecting one another. Not with corona. But with doubt and unbelief. Murmuring and gossiping. I've done it. You've done it. So as much as Aiken has said, we all get affected by Aiken saying, the First Baptist has said, and all of Israel has said, and all your family has You see the point? That's why it was so important in this time of reset, in this time we're starting fresh, in this time of getting a fresh start, we can't tolerate any kind of wickedness. Aiken, you got to go. Aiken, you got to go. Now, if you don't want to reset, then keep up. Business as usual. Just, okay, come to church on Sunday, and, and we'll be as nice as we know how to be, and, and you know, we'll sort of kind of mostly be Christian, but oh, come on, anyway, you're not with Church meet the Bible days. We just tolerate and we compromise and we bend and we tolerate. I'll put up with this, I'll put up with this, I'll allow this, I'll add to that. And God says, no, not now. Not now. And it's so important. It's so earnest. It's so serious. God says, Aiken, you're going to die. And they built the memorial. And the memorial was a, uh, this is a great man. No, this is a lousy, nasty man. Right. Don't forget it. Lest we become like him. So I'm against taking all the statues down of, of, of Confederates. Not because I'm pro-Confederacy. I'm absolutely not. They lost. Forget about it. But I want to leave them up as a reminder. Look how stupid we were. And all that they represented were against. But don't forget, don't forget what that war cost us. Don't forget what that war cost us. 
what that war was about. And it would be a reminder. Like Aiken's grave is a reminder. Don't wind up like that. Don't wind up like that. That the testimony of my life is I cause other people to stay. That the memorial plaque on my grave is yeah, he calls all of us to be kind of mediocre in our walk with Christ. That's Aiken's story. That's Aiken's name. I don't want to infect you that way. I want to lovingly pass on to you my own get up. I want you to catch with me the heart of God that he wants to do something really new and fresh with us. I want you to catch that. I want you to feel that. I want you to believe in that. Yeah. Not because I can manufacture that with my passion and emotion. Because I really do believe that God is setting a stage for us to come out of this time with some hope and some joy and some courage. Get up, Joshua. Yes, your people were in sin. And we'll find the source of it. All that means is we get in discipleship groups and we say to one another, How you doing? How you doing? And say, oh, yeah. Okay, I love you, but you gotta stop that. I love you, you gotta stop that. It's that little insidious, I didn't say anything to put, you know, I don't know, I don't know why she and he and I can't believe their kids and what about it. Does that help anybody walk with Jesus? Does that building anybody up for yeah, let's, let's go win the world for Jesus? You hear that something? Yeah, I know, I don't know. See, in church. Oh my goodness. Aiken's got to go. And to whatever degree you see Aiken in you, and whatever I see Aiken in me, the problem is we don't see it ourselves, we see anybody else. Hell, your own business. And, and when you see Aiken, you say, oh, okay. And now Aiken's name was materialism. Let's think about this. He stole some really nice clothing. They've been walking in circles for 40 years, and, and, and no one's wearing, you know, nice outfits. Right. He, stole, he stole nice clothing, and he stole cash. Ain't no stores. He got nothing to trade. So where is he going to spend this, this gold, and when is he ever going to wear this, this, this clothing? Why do you do it? Because he was thinking about himself. He wouldn't think about what. There's no logical reason. What do you want to do with this stuff? You can't eat it. And if you try to trade it, no one else has it. Well, where'd you get it? Oh, you're the guy. All the compromises we make and not walking with Jesus, what's it, what's it done for you? What? All the hours of TV I watch, what's it done for me? All the murmuring and complaining we do, has it changed anything at all? What are you going to do with the stuff once you get it? Come on, get up! Get up. Believe that God is with us because he says he is. And let's start loving our community. Let's start loving one another. Let's start forgiving one another. Let's quit talking about one another. 
Let's quit wondering, are, are they with me? They're against me. Oh, this topic, this topic, this topic, this topic. Why don't we just get up and love and serve and smile? And when someone gets a little goofy and, and, and we absorb it, we absorb it. I can absorb that, okay. Imagine how your marriage would be, your parenting would be, your church relationships would be, what would the things that work if, if I could just genuinely be not an Aiken kind of Christian, but a real no kid and Holy Ghost filled child of God. What would that look like? Or let me ask the same kind of question, one last question in the illustration. What kind of memorial do you want to your life? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Four little pile of stones over your burial place. There lies Aiken, who was ground zero for Israel falling back into sin. And God said, No, no, not now. Just a new, fresh start. I won't have it. Aiken, you're done. Wow. I want a fresh start. And I want to get rid of all the Aikens that are in me. And I got some. And I'm asking you to join me. That's the story of Jericho. That's the story of Jericho. And they conquered the land. And Israel is today what it is. Because they got rid of Aiken. And they moved forward. Stay with me. Stay with me.